Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Actor Jim O'Hare is on the podcast today. Welcome into the show, The Brett Allen Show. It's your host, Brett Allen, coming at you live from the Bay Area Studios. And our guest today is Jim O'Hare. You know him as Jerry from the NBC Emmy-winning show Parks and Recreation, opposite of Amy Poehler. My goodness, I mean, there's just so many amazing people on this show. We talk about that. We talk about his early beginnings with the improv group Groundlings in LA, dipping his toes into stand-up comedy, and really what just drives him as an actor and why he has had such a successful career. We also talk about really how when he got started, he had the support of friends and family and knew from a very young age, 32, (laughs) jokingly he says that he knew that he wanted to do this full-time. We also talk about his keys to success and so many other things. This was a fun conversation he also has an arc coming up on the hit show 911 here in a week or two. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Welcome into the show and thank you for supporting us. Head over to brightallenshow.com for all of the latest episodes and welcome our guest, Jim O'Hare. You're listening to The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes. I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brad Allen. Idly hey. Welcome to another episode of The Brad Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished. A pop culture podcast. Join Brett weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Jim, welcome into the show. It's good to have you here today. Thanks so much, Brett. Happy to be here. Yeah, so we are chatting with Jim O'Hare if you're just now tuning in. You heard that correctly. And we were talking before we started rolling tape, just an instant connection here about where we're at in the weather and just talking about how unseasonably warm it's already starting to get here. And you're in Southern California right now. And I've been following you on social media. You're back to work. You're working right now. Yeah, I've been really lucky. Uh, I, I started, I would say I kind of started going back to where it was getting busy last November. Okay. So before the holidays, I uh, did a couple of shows. Uh, and then since the new year, it's been pretty busy. Um, it's crazy how we have to work, but I'm not complaining because we get to work. Uh, but there's so much testing. There's so much you have to do while you're on set to make sure, you know, to keep everybody safe. And there's no, you know, one of my favorite things about what I do is, you know, I, I'm a talker and I love of course. hearing from people and hearing what they're doing. A lot of that has been taken away just because there's no hanging out there. You know, if you're hanging out, you got to be six feet apart. You have these masks over your face uh, and not just the mask. It's they have shields now and some sets have helmets, these plastic, clear through plastic. helmets. That. Yeah. I mean, so it, it depends what you're working on, but it's, it's really intense. Uh, but I don't want to act sound like I'm complaining because I'm just so glad to be working. So it's not a complaint. It's just a fact that it's pretty crazy. But the fact that I've been going at it since November, um, I mean, I'm really fortunate because uh, not everything is back. Things are, you know, slowly coming back. They're slowly rolling out. It's a different, a different landscape. Um, like pretty soon the networks are going to be announcing, you know, they have what they call upfronts every year. Yeah. 
I don't even know what that's going to look like because this pilot season was unlike any other, which is expected, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's all crazy. It's just crazy. But yeah, so I've been at it uh, since November. Yeah. And for people listening who don't know what upfronts are, essentially it's where the network advertisers and other powers that be get together and shows get presented, pilots, cast comes and talks about the show and gets the network interested in yeah. great shows. That's the summation of it, right? And it's yeah, they've a already really made, big deal. Yeah, during the pilot season, which is generally end of January through April, they're shooting pilots. You know, they've picked ones that they think are going to go. And then they make their decisions and then they present it. Here's going to be our network schedule for the next year. Well, this year, uh, you know, the, uh, many, many, many pilots didn't get shot that they had hoped were going to get shot. Uh, so I don't know. My guess is, and believe me, no one's asking my opinion at these networks, but my <laughs> guess is a lot of shows that might have been bubble shows that might not have been picked up for another season might get another chance because they're going to need product. Yeah. Um, so, And then I've also heard a lot of shows are just going straight to order, which means the network is saying, just start shooting them. You know, give us six, give us 13. Uh, or give us 10, most of the Netflix shows. So it's just, it, the landscape has changed. It just really has. Um, but they're doing what they can. Uh, these are unprecedented times. So uh, they're just making it work. So I also think the old traditional pilot season, as we've known it all these years, is uh, going away also. I think it's going to be pilots year round. Uh, and I think that was changing even before the pandemic. Yeah, I think so, because... Yeah. As a interviewer and journalist, so to speak, I get all these pitches and emails of stuff coming up and yeah. a few of them actually canceled. The press publicists were like, hey, actually, we're going to hold a beat on this because we don't even know if this show is going to like go because yeah. or a show gets stopped, you know, and there's like, well, what are we going to do? And I think I don't know if it was deemed, you know, essential. I think it was film and television was one of the first bigger industries to be able to go back and start doing things. It was crazy. Like we had all of these shows and everything. And then like, every, it just all halted. <laughs> and it's like, what's going to yeah. happen to this character or this show? And we yeah. waited and then people slowly started to come back and, and it's great. You know, you were talking about the onset experience when I, I lived in New Mexico for years and I was able to do some stand in and some background work. And I remember like how fun it was to just hang out with people and eat at craft services. And yes. Oh dude, and that has totally changed. Cause believe me, actors love craft services. Oh, actors do. love how we're treated at lunch and dinners and everything. Yes. That's all gone. Uh, craft service now is um, a kind of a tented, a, a, kind of a little tent situation with a little opening and you can say, can I have, you know, a diet Coke and can I have a bag of peanuts or whatever you want. But in the old days you would graze. Oh, you that's know, you all would you would do is just go back, back and, and forth. forth. And then even for the main meal, here's a quick, stupid, silly story. Cause I'm such a dummy. Um, a couple months ago, uh, I think I can say it cause I saw the preview. It's going to air next week. So I was doing an episode of nine one one. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I was like, that looked like you running yeah. across the street in the mask. Okay. That's, that was yeah. you. They yeah. had the fat man running in that episode, Brett. It wasn't good. <laughs> I was like, that looks like Jim. Yes. I was going to ask you about it, but you said it. So there you go. Yeah, That's no, fun. It, it, it was great. But one, so we're one of the nights we're doing a night shoot and 
<laughs> you know, it's, again, in the old days when they would break, they call it lunch, even if it's at 11 o'clock at night, yeah. just how the, cause of the way the schedules work. Um, so for lunch, you would normally go to this catering site that would blow your mind. I mean, oh, I'm sure every type anything of thing you could want, anything you can, it could be ribs. It could be chicken. It could be soups. It could be vegan. It could be this. I mean, it's just across the board. And then you go to the salad area and that's all the different salads. Then you go to the dessert area, which, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll have a couple of cookies, maybe a little piece of cheesecake. Like it's just, it's wonderful. Let's face it. So now it, things are different. So I'm on the set of 911 and they came to me early in the day to say, Jim, you know, would you like to select your lunch? I'm like, oh, oh, okay, which I know how, you know, it's going to be different because now it's not, you don't even eat together. You go right to your trailer. There's, okay. It's all, everything is very separate. Uh, and again, it's for safety. So it is what it is, but I hit, which apparently I didn't, I hit the wrong thing. So I get to my trailer for my lunch and <laughs> oh, I had no. ordered, I thought I ordered some big chicken with potato. Like I was looking forward to it. You were excited about your lunch. I was excited. It turns out the button I hit was vegan ratatouille. Ew. And let me tell you, nothing against vegan ratatouille, but when you think you're getting something else and you end up with vegan ratatouille, ratatouille, whatever the hell it's called, it is a very sad, sad event. Very sad. And I realized in the big scheme of things, not a big problem. But in the old days, literally a year ago, I would have had a couple of different things. You know, it's just different. It's all very different. Yeah, it's it's an interesting experience. I mean, I remember I was working, I was doing stand-in work for a USA show in plain sight, and it, we were filming at night, and they were coming through like at two in the morning with like, you know, London broil and all of these like yeah. hors d'oeuvres and <laughs> yeah. like video village. They're walking yes. through, you know, with like all of these things and it's crazy, but it sounds like if things continue to go the way that they have been June 15th, everything is supposed to just open up across the state. I don't know if that will change the protocols on your yeah. business but i think at least for the time being you know maybe it'll make things a little bit easier it's yeah, my suspicion is, and i've been talking to you know other actors uh, on sets when i've been working we kind of think it'll be a three quarters or a full year before things kind of go back to what they sure. were like i think there'll still be a lot of protocol um i had been tested covid tested in the month of, uh, between march and april i'd been covid tested 37 times oh i'm sure because I was doing two shows. So I was bouncing around and and the test from one show is not valid for the other show. So many days I'm tested twice from, you know, it, it's just the way it is. And uh, I don't see that ending real soon. Um, but, you know, the fact that we're even, we've come this far is a gift. So it is, I'm, yeah. I'm not complaining. No, I don't think so. I'm very curious though, for the actors who, let's say have been vaccinated, if it will be different as far as everyday testing, I was talking to, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of cast members from uh, Chicago fire. And she was telling me that in some of these like more interesting love scenes or whatever, close yeah. up kissing scenes, like there are multiple tests are happening uh, because the, the, the contact is so close or even a crowd scene that we've seen, you know, where there's maybe hundreds of people. It's a cattle call. It's like crazy, unbelievable. Um, but it's exciting that you've been able to go back to work, you know, because 
for a while there, it felt like that uh, all bets were off as far as entertainment and, and what we would exactly be getting or if we would be getting anything. Yeah. And I think the reason the entertainment industry has been able to come back and, you know, again, not full force, but it's, it's definitely coming back is because uh, let's face it. There's a lot of money in the industry. Oh, goodness. A lot of money because this is not cheap. These tests that I'm taking every day. I mean, someone's paying for it. Yeah. Um, all of this, these, every set now has uh, uh COVID protocol people like, there's people whose full-time job now is to make sure people are doing it correctly. Well, you got to pay them. There's on sets where people walk around with a six foot stick. And if they see people talking and they're closer than six feet, they walk up and go six feet, please, to let you know you need, you can't be standing. And so these are all people being paid. So the budgets have gone crazy. Uh, it's adding, I, I've heard, and again, this is just the rumor mill, so this isn't for a fact probably, but I heard it's adding like a million dollars an episode. I could see that. To it the would make sense. To the big shows. To the big shows, yeah. I mean, and bless the heart of the PA who has to be the one going around with that job. <laughs> I mean, God. I know. I know. Because you know what? It gets frustrating. And yet, oh, I bet they're just doing what they're doing because that's what they got to do. Um, yeah. It, or it, some it, grip uh, that has to go interrupt. Yeah. To, you know, big people, actors who are like, you know, close talkers or just yes. how it normally is. Hey, yeah. excuse me, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, you know, yeah. like I, I would just like to be a fly on the wall just selfishly to see. But it it, it had to, it'd have to be frustrating. I mean, you've done so many different things and you've been a part of so many projects. You got started quite early i think one of your first things was the rockford files or something like that and then you i forgot about that yeah Yeah. and then you just kind of took off from there what was acting something that you got bit by quite early on as far as like what interested you and what you wanted to do long term with your life and career uh, it, it, first of all, let me correct you. You said I got started early. I love that you said that because <laughs> yes, I'd like to think that uh, I moved to LA when I was 32. Okay. And some people are like, what took you so long to get here? Yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah. Sometimes I'll question that. Like, man, what would have happened if I had come here earlier? But maybe it would have screwed everything up. So, you know, things happen the way they're supposed to Of course. To yeah. Maybe you um, wouldn't have had Parks and Rec. Who knows? Who knows? You know? Exactly. Well, there's even, an, it's funny. I auditioned only one time for The Office. And I didn't get it, obviously. And I remember at the time being really disappointed because it was always one of my favorite shows. And now I think, thank God I didn't get it because yeah. they might have been like, no, he he did the office. We, you know, he already guessed it. His face is out there in this world. We don't want to cast. And him. the so, shows it, are pseudo similar in a way. Yeah, no, no, no. So believe me, things definitely happen for a reason. But yeah, I um, always loved acting and stuff. My One of my biggest, you know, they say regrets. I don't know if this is big enough to be a regret, but in high school, I used to go to all the plays and stuff, and but I was always afraid to get involved in it because uh, just being stupid and silly and, oh, the drama kids and, you know, oh, they're, you know, what, you know, and, you know when you're in high school and it's just also silly when you look back because uh, I think I would have had a great time had I done that because I always had an interest in it. Uh, but then graduated high school and I went to Loyola uh, in Chicago. And I was so unsure of what I wanted to do with my life that I decided that I was going to be an accountant. And I decided that because I had other friends who said that's what they were going to do. I mean, just so ridiculous, you know, but while I was there, I 
just randomly got associated with the radio station at the school. Okay. And that kind of opened up the doors where I realized, man, I really do like this kind of performancey kind of thing because they let you do whatever you wanted. They didn't care. It was like it, it only reached a three block radius or you know, college a, station. So they're like, they're just, here's yeah. like two rules that you need to follow and just do what you can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't say the F word and, you know, don't be doing drugs while you're on air. <laughs> you know, those are pretty much the only rules. Uh, but it was great and it opened up a lot of doors and it made me realize I want to look into that direction. So then I went to a broadcast academy and I, I became a DJ. That was the first thing I did out of Rensselaer, Indiana. And a weird thing happened. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy situation. The, the owner was nuts. And anyway, but I learned so much. I made no money. I went into debt. It was all terrifying. But yet I learned so much life, good stuff for my career. Uh, but one day while I was there, the secretary came in and said, somebody wants to talk to you off air. I said, okay. I just figured it was a local whatever guy or girl asking a question about some, you know, we would have giveaways for a six pack of Pepsi, you know? So it was just craziness, but it was some dude who said, um, I just want to let you know, I, my daughter goes to St. Joe, which is a school near where I was doing the broadcast. And, uh, you know, I listened to you. You're, you're really funny. You should consider second city in Chicago. Okay. And I thought, Oh, thank you. <laughs> and th you know, that call, that was the end of that. Uh, I wish I knew the guy's name because after I left that station, that kind of stuck with me. And I did that. I went to Chicago and I trained with Second City. And that's when everything changed because the first day I was on stage, I can picture it as if it happened just now. Uh, and in my day when I went there, you went on the main stage where Belushi had been and Murray and like these icons you know like now they have a training center and there's yeah now you're lucky to make it that far yeah, if exactly. you're not super talented exactly but this is in the old days where you did it right on that stage and i will never forget the first time you know the teacher said go up there and i got up there and i got my first laugh and it was that I was it know, something happened and and i remember telling people after that that um, this is what I need to do with the rest of my life. Now, I never in a million years thought it would pay my bills. I just thought I will always have to be involved in this, you know, as a hobby or something, because it really rocked my world. Uh, and so who would have known it would actually become <laughs> a career? Uh, and then I got involved with a comedy group out of Chicago called White Noise. Okay. We a, yeah, we did a bunch of really cool shows, especially for the time. We were, we had video involved, which now you would think nothing of it because everybody can make a film on their iPhone, but we're talking the late eighties and, uh, we had animation. It was pretty, it was pretty great. It really was pretty great. And then we did a show called Stumpy's gang that involved, um, puppets and blood. And, uh, it was crazy. And it became this cult hit in Chicago. We were doing midnight shows it was a it was people were showing up as my character they were dressed as my character and somebody said we should try this in LA because if you know everyone when you're in when you're in Chicago or my guess is any city other than LA you always hear about Los Angeles is Mecca you know that's actors Mecca in the pilot season you got to do a pilot season so you know we had all thought about that and then um we said let's do it this show is just crazy enough let's bring it to LA and see what happens. And thankfully, through whatever miracle, it became a bit of a cult thing in LA. And it's 
it's mostly a one person show with these puppets. There's a couple of other characters that come in and out a little bit, but it was really such a showcase for me. It was a gift. And because of that show, when I got here, I couldn't get an agent to take a phone call from me. I just wow. wouldn't happen. Uh, and then we start, the show starts and the reviews start coming out. And all of a sudden the agents start showing up and there, or there are actually, I shouldn't say the agents, their assistants start showing yeah, up yeah. who tell them, you got to go see this. You got to go see this big guy sweating his ass off. You know, you got to <laughs> go see it. Anyway, one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden they're calling me, which was really <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, Three months ago, you wouldn't take my phone call. And That's how it me. always works. Like, it, yeah, it never fails. You know, even in this podcasting industry, it's just it's all so um, simpatico as far as just how things work. I mean, it seems like Second City, UCB, that was just a breeding ground for so many people, especially in the 80s, like in the 90s, too, obviously, you know, with. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and and all of those amazing people, Carell. I mean, the list goes on and on, but really that was like the place to be in, in, in the comedy boom sphere. As far as that goes, did you ever find yourself interested in doing any kind of standup when you started getting those laughs? Did it ever cross your mind or were you like, no acting is where my sweet spot is. Yeah, it did. And I actually, I entered a competition in Chicago. In the old days, you're probably too young to know this, but there was a show. Oh, shoot. Now I can't think of the name. Oh, Ed McMahon was the host. Um, Star Search. Star Search. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm 46. So it was, I was still young. I mean, I remember seeing people on there. You yeah, know, like yeah. Chappelle and things like that. Yeah, gay people, a lot of people are big stars. Yeah, Sinbad, I remember, never, yeah. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, all those people. So Chicago was what this, the show was doing local versions of it. And then if you won, you got to go on the national version. Okay. So a buddy convinced me to do stand-up, to try out for stand-up. And so I, uh, we did it at this hotel in Chicago. It was kind of a, you know, a big deal. It was the local version. And it turns out I won the night, but it was the process of elimination. So there was a two night gig. So I won the first night and then you had to come back. And then the winner, when you came back was the ultimate winner that would go on to further whatever. And so between those two nights, we said, I should probably go to one of these open mic nights and see what, you know, what it, cause oh, when I, yeah. did it, I got the bug now. I'm I funny. Well, and I also had friends <laughs> and family who came to the event. So of course okay. they were super, encouraging and laughing of course so, yeah so we go to this place the uh starlight theater or something somewhere in indiana and there was they were having regular stand-up guys and open mic guys like myself and there was another big guy there and i remember hearing him say to somebody don't put me on after him he's going to do fat jokes it's going to ruin me, ruin my stuff and i thought dude i don't even know what i'm doing you ha- I, 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 I felt a, um, uh, I guess the word would be a bit of a sadness uh, with sure. some of these standups and it, it put a really bad taste in my mouth. And then I went and I did the second thing and I ended up coming in second place. Somebody else won it. And I vowed that night, I am not doing this again. This is terrifying. Uh, I don't want to get, this is not, this isn't what I do. I do want to do the acting thing. So that it was, a, but it was a good way to try. You know, I, I gave it a shot. And since then I have some dear friends who are standups 
they blow my mind. Number one, the fact they have to constantly come up with new material. And I'll never forget Aziz once said, Aziz Ansari, you know, who worked on Parks. Oh, yeah. You know, so here they're writing. They do all this writing. And then if you do a special or if you go on, you know, uh, you know, Fallon or, or, or Kimmel or one of them, you kill that material. And then it's gone. And now you've got to come up with all new stuff. Like you, if you do an hour special, that's a lot. And it's now a you're lot. It is zero. a lot. And, and so it just, I don't know. It all seems very daunting to me. I am blown away by standups. I don't know how they do it. But no, I have no interest. Now, get me on stage with material. I'll do material all of day course, long. Of course, improv, you would yes. nail it. Somebody want to write me an hour long show, I'm on stage. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just not my thing. Just not my thing. Yeah. You know, Matt Walsh was telling me the same thing when I talked to him, you know, I worked with Matt in Chicago. We did a play together called the, um, the gathering. And yeah, he, he mentioned you in our interview, actually. He's like, after we were done talking, we were, you know, he's looking at buying a house in New Mexico Yeah, and he goes, have you ever had Jim O'Hare on? And I said, no, I, I haven't. He goes, you should get him on your show because we have similar stories. He said the same thing. He tried it was like hell no and you know it just and and somebody who has talked to so many comedians like from Howie Mandel one end of the spectrum to the other and I still am I don't know how to say it I'm very intrigued by them and their minds what they do Lisa Lampanelli who's retired but she's a genius I love Lisa and like, you know, talking about the insult comic and how it's so different from other comedians. Yeah. And it's just a whole thing. And I, I was wondering, you know, because it seems like a lot of actors who get their start doing improv, maybe at least once dip their toes in the water with stand up just to kind of because they get those laughs on stage and they're like, oh, well, I wonder if this will transfer over. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Even Carell was saying that he tried. I mean, it's interesting, but I guess if I was doing what you were doing and I was experiencing instant success, I might give it a shot too and say, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if it's going to work for me or not. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I yeah. do a podcast because it's, yeah, no, <laughs> it's why I act. Let them do what they do. I do what yeah. I do. And I've gone up with standups as far as I've done bits with them, you know, of course. They, oh, Jim O'Hare's in the audience, blah, blah, blah. And Come on up. Super fun. Super fun. But that's planned. It, you know, anyway, yeah, I, I, I give them all the credit in the world and I don't want to do it. No. Well, you've had so much success. And one last topic, obviously, um, I know we're on a tight schedule today. I want to talk about Parks and Rec. My God. This show, we talked about it. There was The Office. There were other shows that seemed to sort of kind of emulate your show and other shows that have come on since then. The talking head, you know, sitcom yeah. or multi-camera shows and things like documentary that. Documentary stuff, yeah. Yeah, documentary style, which obviously Greg Daniels, I mean, the guy's a genius with all that. And then, you know, he's doing other things. But when you were in the heat of this show, did you... Were you able to realize just how big of a cult hit it was and, and the fact that it would even stand the test of time years after it had gone off the air? Like, did you realize any of that? Just the opposite. I okay. mean, we, if you ever saw what went on there, um, we fought every year to even stay on the air. 
Like yeah. we were not, I mean, we were critically by season two or three, we were a critical darling. So that was a given. We were, you know, it was either Newsweek or Time. One of them said one of the greatest sitcoms of our generation, you know, blah, blah, blah. So critically, we were good. The people's but, champ on paper. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, when, but when the ratings came out every week, we were like, we were struggling, struggling, struggling. So Mike Shore, who co-created it with Greg, yeah. he basically just said to us, you know, all we can do is a show. All we can do is the best show we can do. Everything else is out of our hands. And that's what we did. And it was the greatest experience ever. But to say that I think it would stand the test of time, I didn't think it would stand till the next week. I never knew what the hell was happening. And as a matter of fact, Amy found out later that she told all of us, Amy Poehler, obviously, who's the star of the show, she said that one time after season, at near the end of season four, we were canceled. The big wigs got on a plane in New York, heading back to LA. Oh, God. And during the flight, we were canceled. Somehow, by the time they landed, we were back on the air. <laughs> so, I mean, it was all so tenuous. And, Brett, every, every upfront, which we were talking about earlier, when they choose what shows are going to come back every year, we would be, what have you heard? Has anybody heard anything? We'd all be texting each other because the, the, the fear for us, Number one, who want you know, it's great to have a, a steady gig. So no one of wants course. that to go away. But this wasn't like any steady gig. I, I've been on a lot of shows over the years. I'm 105 now, Brett. So I'm very old. <laughs> you and look great for your age, by I'm the saying, way. That's why I say it. Because for 105, <laughs> I look amazing. For 59, you're like, oh, that's too bad. So yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> but we um, we had, it was the time of our lives. I mean, sure. the love and the, and the laughter on that set every day was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And believe me, I am the happiest man in the world when I'm working. Like, it's it's just my happy place. So in general, I'm happy when I'm on a set. But Parks was, it was above and beyond what the normal was, at least that I had experienced. So maybe other people would go, oh, that I've had that too. Well, good. So we didn't want it to end just also because we were having just the greatest time. And then every week to sit down and do a table read with a script that is strong and stronger than the week before. And they kept that up for seven years. I'll never know how they did that like that. Those, the writers were brilliant and, yeah. and I know I'm biased. It's, you know, I was on the show, but a lot of shows uh, as time goes on and it's just the nature of, of how it works. They'll have an ebb and flow season. Uh, this, you know, it'll, this, uh, you know, writers will leave certain writers will leave. What I think, the reason Park stayed as strong as it stayed creatively is because Mike Shore never left us. Yeah. Even though he created other shows during it, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he co-created with uh, 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 Dan Gore. So he did other stuff, but he never left us. So his voice was always at the top of the show, which kept, I don't know, I just think it kept the quality. So um, no, to think it has become what it has become, I had no idea. I certainly would, you know, ha would have dreamt that maybe it has, but we have become more popular now than when we did the darn show. That's I how mean, it that's always the, works. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. I mean, I always knew it was a quality show. I always knew just the guests that they would bring in and the characters, the crazy town. It was a show that would just, you know, touch people's hearts. I really felt that. But you never know what that means ultimately. And again, since we fought ratings every year, we I didn't know. I mean, we could have just been gone. So we only had two times out of seven years that we knew we were coming back. Like we, we sweated it out 
every single year. Um, but what it's become is, you know, people have said it's iconic. It's one of the top sitcoms that has ever been produced. You know, obviously that's speculative. Everyone has their own opinion on that. But if that's true, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have been a part of it. Yeah. I mean, a great show. And just thanks to the gift of streaming, you know, people yes. can learn about this show and watch it, stream it. I think it's on Netflix right now or one of these. Well, now it's on Peacock. They went over to Peacock. Yeah, everything moved to Peacock. Well, Um, everything NBC has done is now on Peacock exclusively. Yes. I know. And I'm the one who was complaining who had binged watched The Office a dozen times. And then I'm like, well, it's not. I've seen it enough. I think everything's over there now. So yeah. but be sure to watch it. Yeah, it's crazy. Let me tell you a quick story. I did a, a during the pandemic, I did an interview for I forget who, but they had me be the moderator and it was with uh, the cast of The Office. So it was like, oh, fun, you know, Kate Flannery, you know, Meredith and, and Kevin, you know, Brian Baumgartner and Oscar Nunez. And oh, God, anyway, there was a bunch of them. And the first question I asked them, so we're, you know, we do introductions and I said, so let me ask you guys, what was it like to be on the second greatest show of all time? Nice. <laughs> and there was this pause and then they go, well, you let us know. You know, so yeah, yeah, they got me. They yeah, got me. I mean, really, and then I love there's the office. I love yeah, that. and then there's like all these theories of how the two worlds connect. It's crazy. It, it's the fan lore that's out there. And uh, I was in a, I was in a I restaurant in Washington D.C. with Kate and Oscar, and the people didn't know what to do. Some girls like a unicorn. Yes. Like how are these worlds combined? How are these people together? Yeah. It's very funny. Very, very funny. Yeah. I had one last thing I had heard Dave Chappelle was doing his stand up, and he was talking about the late nineties or two thousands. And he was out somewhere. It was him, Chris Tucker and like somebody else. And people saw them and they were just like, how in the, or, you know, how in the hell, you know, like, could this even happen? Well, Jim, I tell you, this has been a pure pleasure. Obviously we need to let people know to catch you on nine one one coming up here in a couple of weeks, your episode airs. Nine one one, and then I'm on the uh, the series called Liza on Demand. It's on YouTube. We just shot. Um, I just shot my last episode last week. Um, yes, and then so a, a big project coming up that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about yet because that's showbiz. Uh, but yeah, so I'm out there. Yes, and uh, amazing, Jim. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. This was fun, Brett. I appreciate it. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.